Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you, Lana. I appreciate that. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're so glad you're here. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy Hill. Uh, this is the first Sunday of Advent, and so we're really thankful that you chose to join us on this Sunday as we kick off the season of Advent. Advent is just a word. It means arrival. Uh, and so Advent is traditionally a time where the church of Jesus, the people of Jesus, set aside leading up to Christmas in order to reflect and think about uh, and rejoice in the arrival of Jesus, the true King. So we've been giving out uh, these Advent guides. Anybody got one of these last week? You could pick one up uh, today if you want. Uh, I didn't really tell you how it works, so I thought I'd give you like a little quick overview on how it works. Uh, Advent every week starts on Sunday, uh, and so in your guide there'll be an introduction to the week. That's what I will preach about, What will, uh, uh, or Mike in a couple weeks will preach about uh, that Sunday morning. Uh, then that night, Sunday night, there's a, a family devotion for you and your family uh, to do together. Uh, and then throughout the rest of the week is a daily reading and uh, some activities for you to do personally throughout the rest of the, rest of the week. So it's pretty easy, uh, but what I love it about it is it's something that we can do together. Sound good? Cool. So there's some more in the lobby. You can pick them up. Uh, we'll give you some instructions at the end of the service on how you can get a digital version if you uh, like to use technology instead of actual pen and paper and that sort of thing. So good. Well, it's great to see you guys this morning. This is how the Advent Guide begins with one of my favorite stories. We've been talking a lot about it over the past couple of months. Uh, but in C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I don't know if we got any C.S. Lewis fans. I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. But at the beginning of the book, as uh, four children find, first, Lucy, the youngest, finds a wardrobe that leads her to a magical world called Narnia. When she arrives in Narnia, you may remember from the book, it is wintertime. It's cold. And she meets a guy named Mr. Tumnus. Now, she doesn't know this at the time. Tumnus seems to be a nice enough character, uh, but what she finds out fairly quickly through uh, the beginning stages of the book is that Mr. Tumnus is actually tricking her, and he is going to turn her over to the White Witch. And the White Witch is in control of all of Narnia, and because of the White Witch's control, Tumnus tells Lucy that in Narnia, it is always winter and never Christmas. Can you imagine a more bleak situation? That the cold and darkness, the harsh conditions of the winter, don't carry with them the promise of Christmas, of the joy and goodness that comes with the Christmas season. And so Tumnus explains to Lucy that year after year, always in Narnia, it's just cold, it's just dark, it's just harsh. It's just bleak, and there is very little hope of anything else happening in Narnia. Now, you and I don't live in Narnia. We're not underneath the control of the power of the White Witch. But over the past 20 months, we have been through a seemingly never-ending winter where many of us have experienced loss, Many of us, our lives have been reshaped and reformed in some very dramatic ways. And we have globally walked through this pandemic, often getting our hopes up that it's almost over, only to find out, maybe metaphorically speaking, that Christmas is actually not coming, that it's going to continue to endure. 
So what sort of hope can we hold on to in this Christmas season? Is there some goodness, some light at the end of the tunnel for us during this Christmas season? Is there hope that Christmas is coming and that the winter will not last forever? It's a situation that we find the people of God in in Isaiah chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Listen, here at Mercy Hill, we love any version uh, of uh, the scripture that you can get your hands on in terms of print or uh, digital. It doesn't matter. We also just want you to know, like, if you don't know where Isaiah is, you're not alone. So just use the table of contents to find that. It's going to be fine. All right. So Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is prophesying to God's people in a time where they are far from God. And his consistent message is that judgment is coming from God for what the people have done. This is for these people a time of winter. All the news is bleak. Everything is stark. It's all harsh conditions for the people of God in this time. Because the coming judgment is not a pandemic, but is an invading nation. And so Isaiah has been very clear. The Assyrians are coming now. And then later on in the book, he says the Babylonians are coming next. So it's like bad news on top of bad news for God's people at this time. This is what Isaiah says, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shown. Here's what he says, that you are, to God's people saying, you are in a time of darkness. This darkness is in part due to this rebellion against God, that the people have drifted further and further away from God. And the darkness is going to continue into this time of captivity. This idea, this metaphor of darkness is really the same that we would use it here and now today. It's this idea of a situation where you can't see a way out. I've told you guys before that in our house, it's pretty quiet in the mornings. Have I ever told you that? The darker it is, the quieter it gets in the Nichols household. And so often when I'll get up first in the morning, and um, for some reason in my brain, I think that light and loud are the same. I don't know why. And so I'll try to sneak quietly around the house in the dark. But what inevitably happens is I stub my toe or I run into something and then I scream and like everybody starts waking up, right? Because in the darkness, you can't see where you're going. Trouble is found in the darkness. Not only is it confusing and not only can you see the way out, but darkness is also used to describe very often the condition of our hearts. Do we have a thirst for things and a longing for things that we could only describe as dark? We're not interested in what would be the light. It is, so to speak, for the people of God in Isaiah chapter 9, winter. And there seems to be very little hope of change. Now, some of this is their own fault. In Isaiah chapter 2, God, through Isaiah, gives them an invitation. He says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. In other words, he's saying, turn aside from the darkness that you've chosen. Turn aside from your evil, wicked, and rebellious ways and come and walk in God's purity and faithfulness. But the people have chosen not to do that. 
And for some, the coming generations who are going to be in captivity, this time of darkness is circumstantial. It's not a result of their personal choices. Instead, they are just going to live in captivity to another nation. So this darkness seems hopeless, but there is a little bit of hope. If we look back at verse 1, Isaiah says, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Here's what he means. For the people who have been suffering through this time of captivity and exile, there's going to be a time when there's not going to be gloom for them. A new day is coming. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephalti. But, he says, in the later time, the time that's coming, God's going to do something. In the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Here's what he's saying. That in the middle of your anguish and suffering this time of winter, there is going to be an answer from God who's going to provide a way out of that suffering. And that way out is going to come, he says, from beyond the Jordan, from the land of Galilee. So here we have this people who are walking and living in darkness, who have chased it in some ways, embraced this own darkness, who are dwelling in this darkness, captive in some ways to their own choices and then also captive to things beyond their control. These people are in a situation that is somewhat like Mr. Tumnus. See, Mr. Tumnus didn't choose the winter for himself. It wasn't his choice that all of Narnia would be subjected to the rule of the white witch. And yet in this moment, we find him volitionally choosing to do what he knows to be wrong by deceiving Lucy. You see, guys, this is us. We didn't choose a global pandemic. You did not choose the sickness and death this outbreak has brought into your lives. You didn't choose the loss, the darkness surrounding that sort of loss. You didn't choose the fact that it could feel oppressive at times. It wasn't our choice that at times we're like, I don't even know what to do next. And in many ways, the pandemic has suffered, surfaced, though, other issues for us. Perhaps for some of us, anxiety and guilt and family problems. And some of those things are not choices that we made. We didn't choose this last political season or the political climate in the United States for the past six years. We are suffering from choices that politicians made decades ago that have nothing to do with us. And on both sides, dare I say, just men and women manipulating us to get what they really want. And yet, in the middle of this past insane 20 or 21 months, what has also been revealed in us is that sometimes we do choose it. Sometimes we have chased after the darkness. It is only our faults that we were willing to put political, uh, uh, political platform over our family members. That's on us. It is on us that we chose to post these certain things on social media. That's on us. The way we've interacted with our loved ones, that is on us. We did not choose to live in a day 
with such easy access to the proliferation of pornography, but we certainly do choose to partake. And we didn't choose to live in a time here of extreme materialism, but we certainly did choose to order that one more thing we don't need off Amazon. You see how complicated this gets? This is the darkness. It at times feels crushing. At times it brings uncertainty. It is oppressive. It can be deceptive. And it is difficult to walk through. But in uh, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2, there is a hint of hope. Darkness for the people of God and darkness for you and me, Isaiah says, but a light is coming. There is hope for us. There is, as he says from verse 1, this way of the sea, this mysterious way that's going to be made for us from Galilee. There is going to be this light. A great light is going to shine on us. For the people this time, that light is going to shine even all the way into their exile. They'll see it. They'll know it. They'll be seen by it. The people do not have to walk in darkness forever. There is a light coming at the end of the tunnel. The dawn will arise. And what will the light be like? Verse 3 says this, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy, and they rejoice before you. As with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. Weird Christmas verse, right? What's going on there? We love verse 2. We love 6 and 7. What's going on in 3, 4, and 5? Here's the first thing. Verse 3 says, the light will bring joy through God's provision. Here's what he means, that phrase, multiply the nation. He means that God is going to provide for his own people in a way that enlarges their influence again. Can you imagine how good this promise must, must sound to a people heading into captivity? What is yours is going to be taken away from you. And now there's this promise, but what's yours and more is going to be given back to you. And he said there's going to be even joy when they divide the spoils. Or in other words, there's going to be more than enough. I don't, I don't know if your house was like this growing up. Uh, but you remember the game, uh, you cut, I choose, right? So maybe this happened at Thanksgiving. You get to the last piece of the pie. There's one piece left, right? And you and your brother want a piece of the pie. What are you doing? Fighting over who gets the last piece of pie. For some of you, it's pumpkin pie because your taste buds are deadened, right? <laughs> For some of you, it was pecan pie because you're like, heck yeah, that's the good stuff, Right? But you get to the last slice of pie, and what? One person's like, okay, I'll cut it, and you get to choose. Because if you don't do that, if the person who cuts is the person who chooses, man, you are cutting a large portion for yourself and a little sliver for your little brother, right? Here's what he's saying. We're not going to get to a game where you have to squabble over the last piece. When it comes to dividing it up, there is going to be an abundance. So even at the division of what you are going to have, there will be joy. There's no fights. God is going to bring joy through his abundant provision. In verse 4, the yoke of, the burden, of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. What's going on in verse 4? The promise is pretty clear. 
that God's going to break the bondage of captivity for God's people in exile. He's going to act to free them. There's freedom here. But what does he mean on the day of Midian? Now, some of you who are Old Testament scholars will remember all the way back to Judges 6 and 7, a character named Gideon. Anybody remember Gideon? Do you, I don't know if you remember, but God calls Gideon, and Gideon's like, who, me? Right? This angel of the Lord shows up and is like, oh, mighty warrior of God. And Gideon's like, are you talking to me? Because I'm kind of the shrimp of my family, and I'm from the smallest tribe. Like, uh, there's nothing mighty happening here. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to use you to deliver my people from the Midianites. So what's Isaiah want us to know? He wants us to see that God's going to deliver his people from bondage, not out of some military strength, but actually out of weakness. In Judges chapter 6, the angel says, the Lord will be with you. You want to know how you're going to do all this stuff? It's not because you've been doing CrossFit and working out. It's not because you have a superior military mind. It's not because you're incredibly intelligent. The way you're, go you're going to deliver this people is because God's presence is going to be with you. So the light is going to bring freedom through God's presence. And then this light finally in verse 5. Every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood and will be burned as fuel for the fire. Amen? Merry Christmas, right? Like, what is going on here? Like, this is like, it seems good. Man, darkness, the light is coming. And then we get to verse 5, you're like, man, are we fighting people? Like, is this Christmas going to be some all-out warfare? Is like Call of Duty in real life? Like, what is happening in verse 5? Does it sound very Christmassy? Here's what he's saying. Every boot and every garment. The phrases mean a complete overthrow of the oppressor. And so every instance of oppression is going to be undone. He's going all the way back to chapter 2 again. In chapter 2, verse 4, Isaiah says, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So here's what he's saying in 9, chapter 5. The light will bring peace through God's reign. God's going to show up. This light is coming. And what God's going to do is take every oppressor who wants to turn the plow into a sword, and they're going to be eliminated off the scene. So instead, we have this vision, Isaiah's vision of when this new day is coming, when we're not going to need to fight. We're not going to need a sword. You're not going to need the new gun that you're hoping for for Christmas. There's going to be no need because there's going to be complete peace through his reign. Maybe if we made this more contemporary, we would say it this way. That one day, every resource used for human trafficking will be destroyed. Just fuel for the fire. Or one day, every hard drive and server used to exploit people will be melted down. Or one day, every Uyghur camp in China used to oppress a minority people group is going to be ripped to the ground. And then there's going to be peace. Peace. 
every boot, every garment, every hard drive, every gun, all eliminated because of this new coming kingdom. She won't need it. So who is this light? The light that's going to bring the joy of God's provision. Who is the light that's going to bring the freedom of God's presence? Who is the light that's going to bring the peace of God's reign? Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name. The light that we're looking for, his name, shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The light in the darkness, Isaiah says, is going to be a child. And a child that is going to be given as a gift, as a present to humanity in order to set all things right. And that child is going to bring the very provision of God. That child is going to bring the presence of God. And that child is going to usher in the reign of God. Now, some people think that Isaiah is referring to a child that would have been born about this time. His name would be Hezekiah. You can read about Hezekiah in 2 Kings. Hezekiah is the son of a very evil king who becomes king and turns things around in some ways for the people of God. The problem with this view, though, is Hezekiah actually is only just a little bit better. You know what I'm talking about? Right? And so, like what we saw yesterday, Auburn, Alabama, Alabama wasn't dominant, They were just a little bit better. So the picture of Hezekiah in the scripture is not not of this never-ending kingdom that set all things right for all times. In fact, it's just a guy who set some things right for a little bit of time. Instead, what Isaiah is saying here is this child is not going to be a human king, but this child is going to be the wonderful counselor, the one of all wisdom, He's going to be the mighty God. In other words, not just a mere man, but is going to be the divine presence of God incarnate. This child is going to be the everlasting father who's going to be able to perfectly provide for and protect all of his people. And this child is going to be the prince of peace who will usher in this peace worldwide. It's going to be this child. And so this then... Christians have taught for 2,000 years is Jesus. This is Christmas. This is what we celebrate. This is what or whom we have hope in. That God sent his son, born of a virgin, to rescue us from sin and death. And if you want hope in the middle of darkness... The reminder that Christmas is coming even though it's winter. Isaiah says the reminder is the child given to us. Jesus actually said this about himself. John chapter 8 verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So this is who I am. Isaiah chapter 9. The people who've walked in darkness have seen a great light. He's saying, that's me. But I didn't come, notice he says, just for the children of Israel. But I came as the light of the world. So every place and every person where the darkness has oppressed them or overtaken them, every place or every person, every nook and cranny, Jesus said, I came to bring light. I came to bring hope. I came to bring the provision of God through my own death and resurrection. I came to bring the presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us. And I came to bring the reign of God, his kingdom, the light of the world. Which is why Ray Ortland says this. He says, God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. His answer is Jesus. So, big idea today. I know you've been waiting for it. Put it at the end. It's this. If you're taking notes. Jesus is the light who came to bring joy, freedom, and peace in the middle of the darkness of despair, captivity, and chaos. There's hope for us today. Not because Amazon's going to get supply chain issues figured out. All right? Not because we're going to avoid different variants of the coronavirus. Not because you're getting your Christmas bonus, even if it's going to be Jelly of the Month Club. Hope, the hope of Christmas for you and me, the light and the darkness, is that God sent his son for us. This works out in two ways. This works out already right now. That we during this season can remember that Jesus came. And he came for us. And we can in this moment have joy that the, 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 the gospel brings with it forgiveness. We can experience this joy of God's provision for us knowing that Jesus laid down his life in our place for our sin. And no matter what circumstances we come up against, we can walk in joy going, the very worst things about me have been completely forgiven by Jesus, the child who came. And this Christmas, no matter what is entangling you, you can go, and I have freedom. I actually have freedom from the sins that so easily enslave me. I have freedom from proving myself. I have freedom from looking up to the, look, looking, uh, up to the expectations of others trying to be someone. I got freedom from all of that because Jesus is with me. His presence is with me. And then you and I, this Christmas season, can say, I have peace. Because even when things seem completely out of control, I know Jesus is the one who's in control. I know Jesus is the one who will set things right. So about six months ago, uh, my Uncle Bill was in a motorcycle accident. His severe uh, brain trauma, he's got a brain injury, he's been in the hospital for the past six months, he's in a coma for a long time. Uh, I'm not particularly close to my Uncle Bill. Uh, the truth is, uh, I usually only hear from him uh, when he's just getting out of jail. 
so we're not incredibly close. Uh, but over Thanksgiving, I went to go see him with my mom in the hospital, and um, he has trouble communicating because of the brain injury, he has trouble getting around. Uh, it's a really hard situation. And he told this story. Uh, it was of the first time he met his physical therapist in the hospital. Uh, and in the story, he expressed, and I'm sure in the moment, extreme displeasure with his physical therapist because of what he was asking him to do. Uh, it was um, obviously when someone has a brain injury, right? Not quite connecting with reality in some ways. And so he said some really terrible things to his physical therapist. But he, then he told me what his physical therapist said back to him. His physical therapist, Ray, said, I mean, you can say whatever you want to me because I already got mine. I know Jesus. It doesn't matter what you say to me. I know exactly who I am. That's powerful, isn't it? So powerful that my Uncle Bill wanted to tell me that story when I saw him on Thanksgiving Day. See, that's what followers of Jesus do. That's what Christmas reminds us of. That no matter how dark or cold the winter, we know who we are. We know who Jesus has promised us to be. Then there is also an Advent. It's not just the reminder that Jesus came, but also the reminder that Jesus is coming again. And one day, friends, one day, Isaiah 2.4 is going to be completely true. One day, God is going to remake this place into a new heaven and a new earth. And one day there will be no oppression. And one day there will be no pandemic. And one day there will be no overbearing bosses. And one day there will be no need for swords. And one day there will be no need for spears. But we will live in this newly established kingdom, the kingdom of King Jesus. And that place will be filled with his presence and his provision all under his reign, full of joy and peace, complete freedom from what currently entraps us. And that is what Christmas reminds us of. That's why we walk this Christmas with our heads held high, joy in our hearts, because we know it doesn't matter what supply chains do. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world around us. We know and trust that Jesus has made us his own and that he is returning again to make all things right. So, if you are feeling hopeless, if you're feeling overwhelmed by your circumstances this morning, feeling overwhelmed perhaps with your own darkness in your own heart. Christmas is a reminder for you there's good news. You are not forgotten. God himself has provided a way for you. You are not alone. God's presence walks with you. And you are not defeated. God's peace lives inside of you. Merry Christmas. Let me pray for us.